This podcast is brought to you by the Canadian Bureau for International Education. CBIE is the national voice advancing Canadian international education by creating and mobilizing expertise, knowledge, opportunity, and leadership. We are a global leader in international education dedicated to equity, quality, inclusiveness, and partnership. This podcast is intended to elevate the voices of international students, scholars, and researchers that pursued education in Canada under a government-funded scholarship program. This space is intended to deepen the discussion and amplify the reach on the importance of internationalization. In each episode, you will hear directly from alumni about their work and research and the impact that studying in Canada has had on their personal and professional life. In this episode, we will hear from alumni of the African Leaders of Tomorrow Scholarship Program, a program generously funded by the Government of Canada through Global Affairs Canada and the MasterCard Foundation. Before we begin today, I want to take a moment to recognize that CBIE is located on the traditional and unceded territory of the Algonquin Anishinaabe. We acknowledge and pay tribute to all indigenous peoples who live either in the Ottawa region or elsewhere in Canada and beyond. We honor their courageous leaders of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Hello, I'm Beatrice Ella Ebang, and today I'm joined by Doreen Casimide and Antonia Mwangi, both alumni of the African Leaders for Tomorrow Scholarship Program. This program is funded by the Canadian government through Global Affairs Canada and the MasterCard Foundation. Antonia, you have a master's in public policy from Brock University and you are part of the 2017 cohort. Uh, You are an advocate who challenges traditional laws and norms regarding sexual and reproductive health and rights. Welcome. Thank you. Doreen, you have a master's of public policy as well and administration from Carleton University. Uh, You are part of the 2018 cohort and you are currently working as a program manager at Mentoring and Empowerment Program for Young Women, a nonprofit organization in Uganda. Thank you both for being part of this conversation. Thank you for having us. So we are here to discuss women in leadership, and I'm happy to have both of you here. My first question for you will be, uh, what are the lessons you learn from your time in Canada studying a public policy? One of the lessons I learned from being in the ALT program is it's, it's different. Like the mode of education is different. The weather was different. Everything was different. <laughs> so it was challenging at first, but I mean, with the support of all the ALT staff, it became easier as time went by and life just got a little bit easier. And it's, I mean, the lessons I would say I learned was 
I think I became a very good time manager and timekeeper. Mm. <laughs> so that was one thing that I learned um, throughout my studies because you had to do everything at a certain time. But being a student and a student in public policy and especially political science, I had to learn all about all the 12 provinces of Canada. And I keep telling my friends, like, I'm not an expert, but I would sit at a table and have a decent conversation about Canadian government and politics. So I think those are some of the things that I learned during my study. Mm-hmm. And what about you, Doreen? So what I learned from Canada or from having studied from Canada was that I'm able to like flourish in different cultures because Canada is a multicultural country. So I, I feel like I got to interact with so many people from different parts of the world. And so that gave me a different version of resilience. So that was a very good opening for me for the first days that I was in Canada. And to having been part of a very first-class education system, that is a plus for me. So it sort of changed how I look at the world, how I analyze different issues, and how I interact with different people on a daily. And for me, that's very important if you're going to be a leader and you're going to be working uh, one-on-one with different people with different perspectives. Another thing that I really got from Canada was the importance of having, of involving gender measures in all public policy decisions. So having observed the way things are done in Canada, I, I, I sort of understood the magnitude or the importance of having men and women at the forefront and not just discriminating one gender against the other. Having a country that is very inclusive, that accepts different diversities and different identities. So... My next question here will be as people who have really trained, you have your training is in gender and policy and everything that touches the right of all people. What is your definition of women in leadership? What does that look for you in your day-to-day life as, for example, you, Doreen, you are currently a program manager at a nonprofit organization where you mentor young girls. What's your definition of a woman in leadership? What does that look like for you? The definition of a woman in leadership for me is for every woman, irrespective of social status, irrespective of their identity, irrespective of their tribe, because I mean, tribe is a big deal in Africa, irrespective of where you come from, having a platform to flourish, to take on leadership opportunities, to be involved in decision-making without being discriminated on the fact that you're a woman. I feel like leadership for women is still lacking. It's still a very very big gap between uh, men and women taking on different leadership positions. And for me, leadership is having to get there, to get to a position where women can lead without being biased or discriminated or oppressed for just being women. Antonia, I know that you have, you are kind of working in the same field in Nairobi. You mostly focus on going in um, rural regions and try to 
support or help women that went through traumatic experiences. And I know that we will talk more about it. But also for you, what will be your definition of a woman in, in leadership in your case? For me, a woman in leadership is letting the woman take the forefront. And most of our societies and most of our cultures are patriarchal in nature. So they do not let the women have their own voices. Even if a woman, for example, in tables a bill in parliament, she still needs the support of the men to have the bill moved and signed into law. So at the end of the day, it's still the man who makes the final decisions for the women. And that kind of bothers me a little bit because we really don't let women make their own decisions per se, because at the end of the day, you still need a man to move forward your, your bills, move forward any agendas that you have. And when I envision women leadership is, I'm not saying do away with the whole, like with men, absolutely not, because we still need each other and we still need support. But let our systems not be so patriarchal, just be tolerant. And when a woman stands up to air her views and give a voice, let her be, let her talk her voice without being pulled down. So women leadership is for me is letting the woman take the forefront letting her do what she needs to do without pulling her down because most of our systems are always pulling down and pulling backwards women so that is what i envision women leadership to be i can only say let her be that's such a beautiful sentence it's such a beautiful phrase And it's so important for people, I guess, to understand that it's not a confrontation, but it's just let her be. Yeah. And it's not a competition at the end of the day. It's, you know, competing. We're just giving her an equal opportunity too to do her own things because she has her mind. She has her own mind and she can make her own choices and decisions. Now that we know your stance on what being a woman in leadership positions or a woman in society who wants to advance things. Just tell me a little bit more about your work. What do you do in your day-to-day after your studies in Canada? What, how are you contributing to your uh, community? If I can just uh, continue with you, Antonia, and then Adorin can jump in. On my day-to-day work, what I do on a daily basis is I'm actively involved in SRHR, that is Sexual Reproductive Health and and Rights, Um, mostly advocating it for women and teenage girls and teenage moms. And um, if you follow international news or if you follow African news, um, you'll see like a country like Kenya, we have a surge in teen pregnancies. And especially last year, because of uh, kids being out of school, it wasn't as contained. And I mean, we let our children roam around freely. So you you don't really keep your kids inside and you don't really keep your kids in a way that they won't go outside without being accompanied by an adult. We let our kids go out freely. So one of the things I do is supporting uh, women 
in, in sex education and reproduction because also access to um, contraceptives is not easy for most women. Some reject it. Um, and then for the teenage moms, giving them support and how to raise their kids. And for young girls, teaching young girls as from we recently began um, a program of teaching young girls from as early as five years old what a good touch is what a bad touch is what because you know like if a girl knows from a tender age of like five years she can say he touched me or she touched me in this way and I feel it's inappropriate so just teaching young girls from as early as five years old knowing what a good touch is what a bad touch is Thank you so much to share like the rich work that you do and to see how it can vary from day to day and how it's so dense and really impacting the lives of people who need it the most. Uh, Doreen, for you, what will be like a typical week or even day in your life as someone who works in an organization to empower young girls? For me, I think my week would be uh, working with young women between the ages of 14 to 29. So these are the girls that are either in uh, secondary schools or uh, universities. So what we do with these girls is to, yes, mentor them and to help them deal with all, like the biggest percentage of these girls have experienced violence. Like one in three women, I mean, have experienced violence. And this is the age where they are most vulnerable. So what we do with these young girls is to actually train them, mentor them, help them realize that they actually have rights as young women, and to be able to question the status quo of, uh, in which they live. So we help them deal with the gender stereotypes that they experience, when they experience on a daily, like in schools, in the families, and in the institutions of learning, as well as the communities. So another thing that we that I personally do is to help transform the patriarchal mindset and the, the patriarchal mindset that, that exists in different sectors of the community. So we work with different stakeholders, uh, that is the police, the government, uh, families, and duty bearers, as well as the teachers, because most of these girls spend most of their time in, the, in schools. So we, we work towards transforming patriarchal mindsets and helping these girls have uh, an environment where they can flourish, they can have a voice, they can uh, express their leadership skills, they can come up and, and be girls and, and take on their position. I mean, like Antonio said, like, let them be, let, we work towards have, uh, helping them have a space in, in whatever environment that they are in. I know that the work that you do is very, it must be, very challenging and sometimes unsafe security because you go to slums or you go to uh, public schools and we don't know where they are located. And I'm not saying that people who are, you know, like have facing uh, difficulties are uh, violent, but the environments can be unsafe. So my question for you will be, what about the emotional labor? What about it? Is there like a challenge? Is it very predominant? How do you deal with? And I think that's Antonia said it last time that I talked to you. Something about secondhand challenge or trauma. So maybe 
tell us a little bit more about that. The way I was brought up, and I would say I was brought up in a safe environment. I mean, my parents protected me. Um, my relatives protected me. I wasn't abused when I was a young girl. I had a normal setup growing up. And so going into the field and going outside my comfort zone and seeing what other kids are going through or other women, it, it doesn't matter whether they're kids or, or adults, but what other people are going through is really traumatic and when I first started, this was way before I even um, did my, my master's degree, but when I first started going into the slums and working in the slums, um, I remember I used to carry extra money every time I would go to the field. And I would leave, I would actually call somebody to come and pick me up or ask for bus fare because I'd finished all my money. Because it's so traumatizing, the kind of conditions people live in. And you're so unaware of that. And because our, of, of how our society is structured, we, we're not really open to things like going for counseling. And because I believe regardless of how strong you are and strong, I say, quote unquote, you still are a human being at the end of the day. You still feel the emotions. And so this, whatever you see outside there traumatizes you these people are already traumatized and you go there and you see what you see and you become traumatized yourself and you don't know how to deal with that trauma. So you just let it build and build and build. You've got no outlet. So it's, it's become very important for us to talk to other people, talk to counselors, find outlets for the things we see outside there for, you can imagine having an encounter with a five-year-old who was raped by their dad it's very heartbreaking and it's very like some of these things are sickening so it's a lot to bear and I think Doreen would agree with me too because I don't think my setting and her setting are very different (laughs) I, I totally agree with you so building on from what Antonio has shared I I feel like the work we do, having to work with the very vulnerable groups of people in our communities is one, rewarding, but it also comes with stress. It comes with, uh, like you said, like we mentioned last time, secondary trauma. And so having to see the challenges that the young girls go through, I've had to work on projects uh, that help uh, child mothers or teenage mothers. And I have this girl that I met at 14 years, married and divorced with children. And up to date, I still think about that girl. Like if this girl, very young, a child, has gone through all these challenges at just 14 years. So what we do, we've incorporated uh, psychosocial support for both the beneficiaries and the staff. So we've had an opportunity, thanks to our donors, to be able to access counseling from uh, trained counselors and to also get uh, help for the beneficiaries, both uh, counseling and and uh if, if, if the case has elevated, they may seek, they may go ahead and see a psychiatrist. So I really agree with Antonio. It's been, it's very challenging and the challenges are not about to go away today or tomorrow. So that earlier we, we learn to work within a stable mental health status, 
the better for us. Thank you both for sharing. Thinking that someone is working and helping people like that also gives me so much hope um, for the next generations and to see people who are so, I won't say the word strong because sometimes it can alienate a little bit. Uh, but yes, it's being strong, but also being so resilient and knowing that you are putting yourself in the front line for other people and you are suffering secondhand trauma uh, for them. So I really, I, I commend that. I'm so, I'm so in awe of your, your strength and to see that you are supported, and I hope so, by very good counselors what will be something that you want to share with me? What is something that you wish um, you could echo? Something that, that you think is super important that many people hear about? And the floor is yours. One of the things that I battle with every single day of my life is the violence that girls and women experience. The economic, physical, sexual, generally gender-based violence. This is something that has really taken away a big part of women's lives and girls. And it's not something that is reducing. And to make matters worse, COVID has really escalated the whole issue. There are so many young girls that have been married off, that have dropped out of school. There are so many women that are being battered by their perpetrators inside their homes in the middle of the lockdown. So for me, what I would want to put out there is for each and every one to have a role in all this, to have a role in trying to end violence against women and girls. You may be a bystander, you may be a, a government official, you may be a donor, you may be a well-wisher. It's important for us to join hands to end violence against women and girls. I'm just going to build on what Doreen said, and I'm going to base it on a personal experience. <laughs> I was a teenage mother myself. I got my daughter when I was really young, fresh from high school. And I really struggled with that for a long time. And I stayed in a, an abusive relationship with, you know, I was young. So, I mean, I didn't know. I, I actually don't know what I thought. I didn't know whether it was going to work or it wasn't going to work. But I still stayed in an abusive relationship. And I let this person abused me verbally, physically, emotionally, you know, for a long time, for a really long time. And until I came to the realization and I was like, no, I mean, this is wrong. And it took me such a long time. And one of the things that maybe people out there might not know, people who experience violence don't know how to get out of it. They always stay, not because they want to be in that situation, but mostly because they don't know how to get out of that, out of that situation. And people judge people who experience violence, like people will judge people who are going through violence and say, oh, well, she knows the boyfriend is violent. She knows the husband is violent, but she stays but it's not that they want to stay. It's just that they don't know how to get out of it. And so just building on to what Doreen said, yes, a lot of people are experiencing violence. Yes, there's a lot of violence out there against women and, and even children like young girls and even boys nowadays. So 
what I would want the people to know is when you come across or you encounter somebody who is going through violence, your first instinct is not to ask why you're not getting out of it. Your first instinct should be, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And we're going to find a solution because these people psychologically manipulate you to make you see that you you have no other option other than staying with them. And because sometimes somebody is very timid, they don't know how to get out of it. Yes, it's there, but I think we need to reevaluate how we handle people who experience violence. That is one big takeaway that I would want people to know. Just reevaluate how you handle people who experience violence. It's all by choice. Most people think people stay in abusive relationships by choice. It's not by choice. It's just that somebody doesn't know how to get out of it. My heart is so full. I'm so happy for this experience to just exchange with you. I've learned so much. And I I don't know, I can just say thank you for trusting me, for giving me a little bit of your time. Your stories have been heard. So this is the conclusion of this episode. So thank you so, so much for being here. And thank you too for having us. Thank you for listening today. We want to thank our funders, Global Affairs Canada and the MasterCard Foundation for their financial support of this podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the Audio Alumni podcast series to hear new episodes. Visit us at cbie.ca for more information. 